You are listening to the Family Business Podcast, the podcast aimed at delivering insights to help your family business thrive. I'm your host, Russ Hayworth, and each week I'll be bringing you interviews from family businesses and their advisors from all over the world. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. So hello and welcome to the Family Business Podcast. I'm delighted to be joined by Ian Marsh today who works for Family DR. I'll let Ian introduce himself and give some um, background as to what he does. Um, But today's episode is focusing on the importance of communication. And I think we can all agree that communication within a family business is essential um, it's essential in business anyway, but but within a family business even more so. Um, but all too often there are some issues and challenges around this, um, and Ian comes across these uh, in his day job. And so I thought it'd be good to get um, him on to have a chat about um, what it is that he does. So firstly, Ian, welcome to the uh, podcast, and thank you for your time today. Thanks, Russ, and thank you for inviting me. Um, so yeah, if you you could kick off with uh, an introduction as to who you are, a, a bit of history, and how you've come to do what you're doing today. Okay, sure. Uh, I practiced law for more years than I like to count, 35 to 40 somewhere. And I spent most of that time as a private client lawyer, working mostly with family businesses and entrepreneurs. And I find, found myself after a time getting drawn into a lot of I suppose family wars is the only uh, only description you can give, <laughs> and uh, I, I think the the one that really set me on this journey took up more than half of my life for five years. Uh, but for the family, that was the last five of thirty odd years, uh, battling away in six or seven jurisdictions. Wow! And uh, you know, from from the lawyer's point of view, you you meet interesting people. You do challenging work, you get well paid. So what's not to like? Uh-huh. But from the client's perspective, it's 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 kind of different. And I I started thinking there had to be a better way of dealing with some of this stuff. Um, when we are, I, I trained as a mediator, and when the opportunity came along, I, I left the law intent at that time just to sort of mediate the types of cases I'd been litigating. Okay. But when, but when I started doing that full-time, uh, I, I, I came to a couple of realizations. One is that you know, with the best will in the world to my former colleagues, when there are 10 or 15 lawyers in the room, it can be quite difficult to get to the underlying family-type issues mm-hmm. uh, because somebody always wants to come back to the point. And it's probably their point rather than the client. So <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I put my hand up. I, I was as guilty as that as anybody. Uh, and the other thing was that there's there are different approaches to, to mediation. One, one is that you're there to turbocharge negotiations, and that works really well in a commercial environment. But but in, in this environment, the family environment, I found that if you could simply restore communication because it had nearly always broken down, it does in conflict, uh, then 
Yeah, for, for one thing, the, the problem quite often went away because mm -hmm. the problem was quite often a construct. You know, somebody goes into a lawyer's office saying they've got a problem with their expletive deleted brother uh -huh. and, and they come out as an oppressed minority shareholder, the victim of a breach of trust and all sorts of characterizations that had never occurred to them. Uh -huh. And sometimes if you can deal with the communications issue, then people suddenly find they actually know the answer, they know what to do. It's just that they haven't been able to articulate it one to the other or hear what anybody else has been saying. Mm. So, I've, so what I started doing really was taking the mediation skill set and moving it earlier and earlier in the process. What, what happens if you apply it uh, before people get to litigation, before people get to a litigator? Uh -huh. uh, what happens if you apply it before they fall out? Um, uh, for example, in, in the governance arena. Uh -huh. uh, and so on. Uh, and that's really a lot of what I do in my, my day job. Uh, over time, I've come across various pieces of helpful signs that we may come back to uh -huh. later in the conversation and started studying you know, why it is we find communication so difficult. Uh -huh. uh, and, and now I really focus on... You know, coaching and teaching and facilitating people having the conversations they, they, they most need to have. And, and, and there's no shortage of them out there. That's, I, that's I can imagine, yeah. And, I mean, I mentioned it in sort of the, the preamble to the interview that the, the issue of communication is important in any business. And do, do you, is there a rule that, family businesses are better or worse at communication or is it down to, to individual personalities that, that would drive that in your experience? Um, I, found, I, I, I work pretty much exclusively with families and family businesses. Right. So I, I haven't really, my, my experience away from that is, is as a partner in law firms uh -huh. um, where I would say the level of communication is not great. Uh-huh. Um, I have no doubt offend a lot of people with that. <laughs> I, I, I think one of, one of the challenges we have is that we've all been communicating from, you know, the minute we open our eyes as babies and look up into our mother's faces, really. Mm -hmm. And we do it every day. Yeah. And most of us think we're really good at it. You know, when I, when I do workshops and so on, I ask people... Yeah, for a view of their own communication skills, you get typical responses like, I have no difficulty getting my point across. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, you might think of people in the public arena who might espouse similar views. Yes. Um, but one thing you can notice with those people is that they never actually check. Right, okay. Yeah. Um, how, how often do you actually put any effort into understanding whether the message you thought you sent was the message that the other guy received. Yeah, and I guess if there's a nodding face uh, across the room, you, you, you can take for granted that the, the message has come across. Um, but you don't know how that person's um, feeling about that, and, and it, can, it can then fester. You, you don't actually know why they're nodding. Mm. I, mean, I, mean, there's, I mean, 
Body language is a complicated issue and a lot of it gets oversimplified. And when I was training as a mediator, we were, we were told this thing about, you know, you've got to be careful if you cross your arms when you're in a meeting because it shows you're not listening. Sometimes it shows that you're cold. Okay, um, yeah. <laughs> or, or, you, or, or you spilt soup down your shirt at yeah. lunchtime and you don't want to embarrass yourself by showing it. You know, it can, it can indicate all sorts of things. Absolutely. And yes, there's a signal there, but, you know, the next step should be to check it out, not uh-huh. to make the assumption. Right. I, I think where families do find it harder is that if you're – you have more than one relationship going on with the people you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. So your 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 line manager may be your dad. Yeah, and and that can be quite difficult because I mean the first time I made a mis you know, an error that was going to cost somebody or potentially cost somebody at work. Mm. You know, before I told my boss, I talked to my dad. Right. My my, my dad knew nothing about legal practice he was a he was a headmaster but to me he knew about everything and yeah it, it just helped me prepare myself for going and fessing up that I'd done something stupid mm. um, and we all do something stupid at some point uh, but you know who do you go to for, for that sort of help and support if 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 the person you have to uh, have to deal with wears both hats and you know, just between siblings, um, it's what so often happens with siblings is that they develop a, a, a stereotypical role. You know, one, one's the peacemaker, one's the arty one, one's the mm-hmm. joker, and so on. Yeah. Uh, and whenever the family comes back together, yeah, later in life, they, people fall into those stereotypes. Mm. Uh, and it's. It, it's fine for many of us if, if the only time you get together is to eat turkey and argue at Christmas. You know, it, it doesn't matter if you do that for a day or two. Yeah. But if you're actually trying to run a business, you, 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 need, you need to express yourself and you need to understand what other people are expressing. And, and you need them to understand what you're expressing. Absolutely. Otherwise, it's just a lot of words hanging in the air. Mm. And so, in your work, do you come across common areas of non or miscommunication? Is there a recurring theme there, or, or again, is is that individual to each family? I, I, well, we're we're all different. Um, we all, yeah, we all screw up differently. I guess. I, I I think the theme that does come up and up and up again is. There are lots of people who would articulate it differently, but you know the number of people who say something to me along the lines of "we just don't talk about stuff," uh-huh. and some people use that sentence. You know, they they can't even give it a name. It's stuff, uh-huh. uh, and for a lot of families, it's money. Um, but but loads of families have taboos that they probably wouldn't use that word. But you know, there are conversations that don't happen. Right. So, so, so that is a, a common theme, and it becomes difficult then if, if you've had that tradition, then when you start looking, for example, at transitioning from one generation to another, you probably find you have to talk about all that stuff. Um, and, and it gets in the way mm. if, if, if you can't. I, I think the other common area 
which lies with mostly with the parents, I suppose, is the you know if you're looking at a first generation entrepreneur, they're, they're autocrats, uh-huh. and, and and I use the word in its you know technical sense that they are the sole decision maker, and very often you know they. They're not able because that's the world they live in. They they can't give a role model for consensual decision making, which is what their children are going to have to do. Yeah. So yeah. their children grow up without that role model, and and very often, you know, because uh, successful entrepreneurs devote a lot of time uh, to business and so on. One of the ways they show their love for their children is when they see a problem, they say, "Leave it to me." Uh-huh. Uh, which of course just reinforces the problem because yeah. yeah, one comes across rising generations who have no real ability to make big decisions because they've never had to, and and what we all need is the opportunity to make mistakes on the little stuff before we get to the big stuff. Yeah. Um, so 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 those are two two very common areas that I come mm. across, and I guess they're they're the areas that. Where, where mediation can really help because you can go in as, as somebody who's an, an objective third party who, who's able to see things from from both sides and I guess oil the wheels of communication between um, sort of parents and, and children to, to highlight those um, areas but I'm guessing that's fairly difficult with, with somebody who has perhaps been in business for a long time and has been in that autocratic role for a long time it's a foreign concept for them to to not fulfil that role. Yeah, I I think that's right, and it, and it's a a lot of the effort there has to be a process of education in the sense of making them aware that things perhaps aren't happening as they would want them to, mm-hmm. or. Um, perhaps what is going to happen when they're not there to do that. Mm. Uh, but, but but certainly from, from the intervention perspective, you know, sometimes the best you can do is work with the next generation and try and help them to, to get ready for what's coming. Mm. Uh, it, it may be that the senior generation just will not join in right. because they don't think... Uh, they don't think it's relevant um, or they don't think it's meaningful. Uh, sometimes they change their mind when they see a change in attitude in their in their kids and, okay. and, and sometimes they don't. I mean, mm. it's an area where you... It, it, it's really interesting to me because just about every piece of family business literature I've ever read has the expression communicate, communicate, communicate mm-hmm. somewhere in it. Yeah. Uh, but, but apart from the suggestion of perhaps using a skilled facilitator, it offers no clues as to how you do that. Mm. And, and I looked far and wide and there's very, you know, there are, there are some really good books on difficult conversations, but yeah, there, there are probably two or three. Mm. That, that are that are worth the read, I think. Okay. Um, and it, it's 
but but it's always trying to get people to address a problem they very often don't think they have until it gets you know too close to the buffers. Yeah, yeah. The, and I guess that that is um, sort of leads on, on to a question I have here: is where can families start if they feel that there is already a communication issue within the family? Because it's not always a case of being able to sit someone down and say, "Look, I think this is the case." It, it can often go unnoticed initially, and then then sort of bubble away under the surface and, uh, until there's a pain point. So, so if somebody is is sat within their family business and thinking actually listen to this, that sounds very much like my family. Um, where can they start? Well, I, I, I think if there is is a recognition that there's an issue, that, that's a huge start because the vast majority uh, never have that <laughs> never have that insight. It's usually somebody outside who has the insight, mm-hmm. which, which, which is a harder thing to deal with. Yeah. I'm... Simply being aware of it is a big issue. Uh-huh. Uh, if they have sufficient insight that they can see how to how they might change their behaviour, that that is always a great starting point. Mm. Getting some help uh, with it. It's I mean it's not communication is a skill. Mm. Yeah, you, know, you you can learn it. You need to practice it. Uh, it takes work like like all skills and I, and I think that's you know that's one of the issues that most of us don't see it that way yeah they think you know we came out of the box you know, yeah ready to play we, we, we've uh, got a mouth and some ears we know how to use them yeah and but as my mother used to say you have twice as many ears as mouths for a reason yeah Slightly more listening than speaking, maybe. Yeah, uh, and, and And that's an awful lot of it. But, I mean, looking around for help, uh, in theory, would be a great thing to do. There's, there's sadly, too little of it out there. Because mm-hmm. I, I, I come across other people whose practices I overlap with. Uh, and there are some people out there who actually embody what, what, what I try and teach. But there's... It is quite difficult to know where to look mm. um, because y- you may – and the number of people who come to me having been to a lawyer, having been to a family business consultant, perhaps having been to a family therapist, and yeah, some of those work for some people, mm-hmm. which is great because if you find the person you – know, there, there are family business consultants out there who – good at this possibly more instinctively than by focusing on it mm-hmm. uh, and, and they can help a great deal uh, ditto at the therapy end of the scale but some people you know a, a, a common refrain is the family business consultant is sometimes too focused on the business and the family therapist is too focused on you know the, the family relationships and and it, it's 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 something in between that, and anyway, mm. we don't want we don't need therapy because yeah. uh, you know, people are resistant to the idea of having therapy. No, I mean, you mentioned taboos earlier. It's almost a, yeah. a taboo, Wrong, wrongly so. I, I think it, it shouldn't be something that, that we shy away from uh, at all. Um, but but there is almost that taboo, and and uh, we often hear that families feel alone and that they're the only ones suffering from um, the issues or challenges that they're facing. And, and yeah. to a certain extent, that's true because they're the only ones with, with their family. 
but there are, I mean, people are people, aren't they? And, and the, the process of mediation, um, it doesn't have to be so specific on, I can only deal with you if you've got that problem. Absolutely not. I mean, I, 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 I don't really use the mediation word in, in this context so right. much. It, it, it's, it's a piece of the history. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I think there are, there are a couple of ways of looking at this. If, if you have an acute problem, then getting, you know, doing what they say in the literature and finding a skilled facilitator is, is a great starting point for dealing with the stuff you've got to deal with now. But, but it's a bit like making a decision that you're going to shift your business to export everything you make to France. Mm-hmm. But every time you deal with your customers, you're going to use an interpreter. Right. Yeah. Why not go out and learn French? Mm. Uh, and, yeah, you may still need help from time to time because there'll be stuff you come across that you can't do. Yeah. But... You know, get the skill set to, to, to do what you need to do. And, and that's really where I'm trying to come at it from. I think okay. there's a huge education piece there to be done. Because mm-hmm. what, what you know, just going back to the, the notion of mediation, lots of my fellow mediators are, are very keen to build this as a, as a proper professional, quote-unquote. Mm-hmm. To, to, me, to me, it's life skill stuff. And right. we, we should be teaching it in schools, and, and some schools do, uh-huh. and, uh, and it's really successful. And I think we could be, yeah, I would lo- love to be teaching some of the stuff that I do in schools, because if, if people yeah, saw it as something to work on from an early age, they'd get much better at it much quicker. Yeah, and the advantages of good communication are, are clear, aren't they, that the, the business can thrive it can um sort of iron out any of the the um things that may be holding progress back uh, and make sure that that everybody's pulling in the same direction so so the advantages are clear and and our well-being is linked into you know the the happiness we feel at work and at home and and in a family business with the the intertwining of that it it can have a huge impact on our overall well-being so so it should be seen as a positive thing Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, I think I, I would say, if if you can communicate more effectively, you will. That probably well, it does include communicating with yourself. So, you know, de- dealing with your inner dialogue and the way you wrestle with issues is all part of it. Mm-hmm. So you will make better decisions individually if if you communicate more effectively within the family, you will make better decisions collectively. You will waste a lot less time and energy on the angst of conflict Mm -hmm. because if if you can talk about the difficult stuff and have everybody actually articulate what they're feeling without it putting relationships at risk, Mm then, yeah, it's a whole different world. And I, I think difference then goes from, yeah, something potentially horribly destructive to, wow, never thought of that before. Here's a whole new line of business or here's, 
you know, some, something else we can do within the family, away from the business, or, or whatever it might be. But mm-hmm. there's much more innovation and invention in an environment where you know, ideas and words can, can flow without being stamped on. Absolutely. And we very commonly um, hear that governance structures can provide solutions to communication issues, i.e., um, again, not, not bashing lawyers here, but if you go and see a lawyer and say, um, you know, we're, ha- we're having some issues here, the likelihood is that there'll be some form of um, governance structure suggested. Do, do you see it, the importance of that in, in the work that you do? do? Does it have a role to play in that? I, I think it certainly has a role. Uh, I think the role has been exaggerated by some. Mm-hmm. I, I, my, the way I look at it at, at this end, as they say on the telly, other views are available. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the first really important bit about wrestling with governance is the conversation you have to have to get you from where you are to where you want to be. Yeah. The second important bit is that if you do it right, then the governance itself provides you with one or more forums, fora, whichever you were, um, in which future conversations can take place. But if those conversations never happen, the, what does that achieve? I mm. mean, we have a we have a wonderful parliament, but it, you know, if you know, in the days when the king used to send it home, it didn't actually achieve anything. Yeah. Uh, you have still got to have the conversation. And I think actually, it, so part, part of what I do around, around governance is make sure that the people who are involved in it feel comfortable that they can have their say, that they think they'll be heard, that they think what they say may make a difference. Uh-huh. And you know, those are all characteristics of when we see something as fair. Yeah, I think fair, fair process generally requires all that to happen. Mm-hmm. And, and, and quite often, you know, we have processes that, where it's not. I, I, I worked with one family and I asked them what their, what their decision-making process was and Dad announced very proudly that it was a democracy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but of course, he had fifty-one percent of the vote. Yeah, <clears throat> and it was a first-past-the-post system, I think. So, <laughs> so yeah, that yeah. And like... I, again, I, I was sorry to talk over you, but I, I was working with a, a family for, from a European family recently, and they they're in their third generation of of governance, which is which is quite advanced, mm-hmm. um, and. You know, if I compare what they've been through in terms of you know, sensible governance, role differentiation, you know, they've done everything in the books right, and, and the business nearly collapsed. Mm. And it nearly collapsed because there was a there was an elephant in the room that nobody would talk about. Okay, um, uh, and that was the the yeah you know, the ghost of the previous generation mm-hmm. who everybody in the structure, assumed would not approve of change. So right. they didn't change, they didn't change, they didn't change, and oh dear, the world did. 
Hmm. So, and I guess that goes back to the, the point we were making earlier: as as somebody could be sat across the room from you with, with their arms folded, nodding, uh, and they could be cold. They could have soup on their shirt, or, or there could be that elephant in the room, uh, and cre- creating yourself a safe environment. Sorry for for that communication can be tricky if there is that feeling from in your example of dad it being a democracy um, yeah but everybody else is sat around the table thinking no it's not <laughs> yeah. because uh, he he has the the overall say yeah i mean i i think you you hit on the key word in all of this though and that's that safe space mm-hmm. and you know the the key the key to having yourself heard is to make sure that the other person, the people you're talking to, feel safe in that conversation. Mm-hmm. Because you know, what, what we now know from the science is you know, lots of people talk about fight or flight. Mm-hmm. You know, when you start drilling down into the physiological aspects of that, you know, what happens in your ears actually changes. You know, the, the, muscles act, the muscles that allow you to pick out one voice in a busy room, you know, suddenly go into spasm and you can't do that anymore because wow. it, it doesn't serve you to do that. And, you know, most of your face muscles lock up, so you stop, A, being able to express subtle emotion and, B, being able to read other people's because mimicry is part of that. Wow. So, yeah, creating the set, even in a one-on-one conversation, yeah, your first task is to connect and make the other person feel safe. Uh-huh. But, yeah, ironically, the first thing you have to do before you get there is make sure you feel safe in that yeah. environment too so you don't shut down. Yeah. Um, and then building from that to create, you know, a safe space within the family where you can have lots of people in the room and, you know, people don't go off on one. People always will go off on one. Yeah. But yeah. You, you've got to, you've got to let them do it, and they'll. The safer the space, the quicker they calm down. The quicker they recover, the more resilient they become. And uh-huh. We all need resilience too, because whatever you do, you, you're going to have setbacks, and you have to be able to deal with them. Yeah. Um, I was going to say that it needs to be something that's worked at, doesn't it? Rather than thinking, right, we, we'll call this room the safe space and we'll go and have a chat and then everything's solved. It, it's it's understanding that it's a, a progression. and it, it's n- it, Yeah, I think, I, I, I think it, it's both because when you look at one of the things that works really well for families is spending ritual in a way spending time together in the same place same time for the same reason uh-huh. if you will and yeah, you know, it gets harder and harder as families spread around the world we make it harder by preferring to use technology over actual face to face you bond much more effectively if you're face to face absolutely no doubt on, on that uh-huh. but if you yeah, there are families for whom having their family meetings in a particular place works really well hmm. uh, because it gives it has that element of of ritual about it. So if you develop a good behaviour there, you relate the good behaviour to the place uh, and the reason you're there. Um, so that 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 is all 
is all part of it. Mm. Um, but part two is not, not to be all business. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, I ask families, you know, yeah, when did you last get together to do something that wasn't business related? And, yeah, they'll all tell me mm. and say, what did you talk about? And it turns out somebody will start some familial thing. And oh, but we were actually talking about, you know, stock levels and customer <laughs> relations. And, yeah. and, and, you know, being able to distinguish between boardroom and dining room tables. Uh-huh. Can, can, you know, sometimes you need to have the boardroom discussion around the dining room table. Of course you do. Mm. But you, you need time as a family as well. Yeah. Uh, you need to do family things if you're going to stick together as a family and, and not just become a business. Yeah. And, and, and you know, some of that is choice. Mm. You know, some, some, some folks see themselves as families in business and other folks see themselves as business families. And, you know, there's a whole lot of definition can go on around that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> that's probably a podcast in itself i mean the first, yeah. first the first episode we recorded is a conversation about that we sort of say when do you define yourself as a, a family business um but, but there's so many different um definitions um we came to the conclusion it's almost if you think you are you are um and if you don't think you are you probably are anyway so uh, it's kind of a, a very yeah. broad conclusion um from yeah. that uh, you meant, mentioned a, a couple of minutes ago about the the sort of science behind all of this and i, I know that's something yeah. you're um, sort of uh, very much into uh, am mm-hmm. i right in thinking it's called interpersonal neurobiology that's that's right. And yes. for, for those of us, uh, including me, who have not come across that um, particularly much in our lives, could you sort of give a, a whistle-stop tour of, of what that involves? Uh, um, Is that possible? <laughs> well, at, at its basics, it, it, I mean, it's a multidisciplinary approach that explores how the mind, the brain, and our relationships interact and change one another. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of scientific contention in that statement alone because what, it, what, what the mind is is not something the scientific community has ag- agreed about. But so there are large elements of neuroscience in there, psychology, behavioral stuff. Um, and it's certainly, it, it was developed by a guy called Daniel Siegel at UCLA. Uh-huh. And he's, he's spent about 30 years developing this now. And it, it's probably more widely uh, practiced in, in the US. It, it's design and, and development comes from the mental health world, really. Uh, and I've just... I, a, a colleague gave me one of Dan Siegel's books and one of the lighter ones, I have to say. Uh-huh. I, I read it on a long haul flight and I, I was just having so many light bulb moments because um, uh, yeah, he, he was giving case studies and I, I could immediately see how they related to families that I'd, I'd worked with. And okay. I... Yeah, I, I study. I was sadly unable to go to California for three years, but I, uh-huh. I studied with him online for uh, through a few of his courses, and that took me to other 
other science in in the in the field uh-huh. and that's certainly driven a great deal of how I approach what I do now uh-huh. and I, actually some of it I, I wouldn't always delve into it openly with with clients but some people some people do find it useful yeah. one of one of the things which we've touched on already is is that people think they're the only one that's going through this or they're the only ones who have this issue mm-hmm. uh, and it, and it's it's always a good starting point to normalize it mm. we I, I i can't know what's in your head you can't know what's in mine there's enough commonality there that we can have a conversation so mm-hmm. there must be a, quite a lot uh, but yeah, when you say something is red do i know what you're experiencing mm-hmm. let alone when you say you're sad or angry or frustrated but yeah i can get some sense of it uh and knowing being able to explain to somebody what some of what's going on in their brains and their bodies and Uh so on is is quite helpful yeah and i'm guessing that leads on to the the next question really is what what the, the sort of practical applications of that are and you you mentioned you don't always necessarily explicitly explain um that but presumably it helps shape your uh conversations um with with people that that you have an understanding of of all these um multidisciplinary things that are going on in in people's yeah i mean um, i mean it shapes my approach to the conversation mm -hmm. and the solutions uh i use i i use quite a lot of mindfulness in my work, uh-huh. um, which is, yeah, it's become so ubiquitous, it's probably hated now. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah, the, there's, there's, a, there's a huge amount of science now that, that says it, it's really helpful um, yeah, with emotional control, response flexibility, you know, or ne- nearly all the aspects of mental life that, that go into an effective communication. Mm. Yeah, it, it's helpful to stop yourself tripping into fight, flight, freeze, faint modes uh-huh. uh, when, when somebody you know, says something that you, that you don't like. It, it's very helpful in developing the focus to you know, pay attention to the other person exclusively and not be sitting there deciding what you're going to say next because yeah. yeah truth is if you're thinking when somebody else is speaking you're not actually listening to them yeah especially if you've um, got a question um that, that's in your mind and you're thinking you know when, when's this gonna get to the point where i can have my say and uh, you know it, yeah and also distractions outside of just thinking the amount of times we see um phones in in boardrooms now where the people aren't listening, that they're sat on their phone, they're, they're on social media, or they're, you know, playing Candy Crush Saga or whatever the latest um, game is, and you're not truly present in the conversation, and you know that that can obviously be a, a negative when it comes to effective communication. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there's actually several studies out there already that show that simply the presence of a mobile on a table between two people having a conversation uh, lowers the felt connection between the people uh, and lowers the level of communication between them. Wow. I, and, you know, it's, we, we, we know too that, you know, 
these things are addictive. You get that nice little hit of dopamine every time mm-hmm. you've drawn off to see whether somebody's posted anything. Yeah. And if you've got, yeah, 200 friends in the little box on the table and one guy you don't know real well sitting across from you, <laughs> who, who, who are you actually going to pay attention to? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I think there's a, a lot of, a lot of, it's, it's, it's an area I, I, I deal with with people because the mm-hmm. whole, there's a whole slew of stuff on the technology is designed to hook us into a commercial venture. Mm-hmm. It's not designed necessarily with our well-being in mind. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not saying it's going out of its way to be bad for us, but yeah, it has side effects. Yeah. And I think we just adopt it without question. And it's a new and, phenomenon as well, isn't it? Because mobile phones haven't been around for, for that long. So it's not like it's a, an age-old problem that generations have been through. Yeah, it's something very absolutely. much now, and, and um, we need to learn how to, to deal with that. But, but the very fact that holiday companies are now marketing detox, digital detox brands yes. it gives you a clear. Yeah. Uh, and... Yeah, okay, going off and have a long weekend and not looking at any of the technology is is a good thing to do. But, you know, being, to go back to the word, mindful of the way you use your technology day in, day out, mm-hmm. is, is probably a better thing to do. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, it, it, takes, it takes effort. But I, I, I would keep them... I, I start some of my workshops. There's there's usually a chairman who who says, you know, can you put your technology on silent mm-hmm. or whatever. And one of my favourite first questions is, okay, so if instead of silent, he'd walked around with a box and invited you to put your phones in it uh, to be collected after the event, yeah, how how would you react? <laughs> and it's. Uh, which, which is the, I don't know whether you've been there, but that's the jury room experience. Okay, no, I've not. And, and it goes on in a number of schools these days because it's kids were sitting there texting instead of mm. flicking bits of blotting paper at each other. Yeah. And I know a few people who'd, who'd come out in a cold sweat if, uh, if we were asked to separate I've from got, their phone. I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I've had people literally scream and shout. Uh, some some of it is cultural. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you go to the more devotedly high tech places on the face of the planet, they become so inseparable from their technology that they regard it as a human right. Now, mm. uh, other places are more amenable, um, but it's. I don't think there there isn't a right or a wrong. I I, I just wish people would think about it before they. Yeah, you know, just just go ahead with without, mm. um, and it's it's probably yeah you know, rather oddly, I suspect it's a part of my work where I've made more difference. Okay, than, than many others in that it's the part where people come back and say, yeah, I hadn't even thought about that, and I've I've gone home and I've changed what we do at home. Yeah, um, because I think I mean particularly people with younger children. Mm. Yeah, they've they've mobile. F- I was reading the other day the num- percentage of children under five who have a mo- get their first mobile phone. Yeah, between three and five. Wow, oh, that's incredible. <laughs> it's, 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 well, it's, I think it started replacing the dummy. <laughs> 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 uh, 
and the nanny. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it keeps kids quiet and they see their parents with one, so why wouldn't they want Absolutely. Um, but, but, but that's the other thing. It's, it's all very well telling your kids they can't text at the dinner table, mm. but don't do it while you're checking your emails. Exactly. Exactly. And I guess that, again, is the separation of the, the boardroom from the dining room table. Uh, is if uh, if you've got access to to the emails, it's very easy to to drop back into work conversation if something's come in um, whilst you're having dinner. Absolutely, and and it seems yeah. Well, it it means I won't have to spend an hour doing it yesterday, so I'll be home an hour earlier. And uh, yeah, yeah, it, it's uh, but it, it's insidious, and mm. and yeah, the more your business gets onto. Yeah, if if you have exposure through social media, so you feel you have to pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how how do you distinguish between the business social media and your social media? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, brilliant. Um, we're coming towards the the end of uh, uh, the the time slot now. So, the the last question I have uh, really is if you could give one tip to those those families in business together. Uh, as to to how to start looking for better ways to communicate. Firstly, is there one? And if there is, what, what would it be? One tip. Um, interesting. Get curious. Be okay. curious about how everybody else is experiencing the world at the moment. Yeah, the bit of the world that's concerning you. Because mm-hmm. if... That's what that's what you really that's where the connection is, uh, and if you're curious about it, you will make less assumptions, and if you're curious about it, you will ask more questions mm. and you will listen more. Um, and you know, if you're curious, you're far less likely to to shut down. But mm. again, you know, some people are naturally more curious than others and some of us have to work at it harder mm-hmm. fantastic that's, that's a great tip um I, I think that's certainly something i'm gonna take away as well um so uh, again thank you very much for your time how, how can people find out more about you or, or get in touch if they want to uh quickest way to find out most probably to go to the website at um familydr.co.uk and um, all the contact details are on there yeah I've spent a bit of time on your your site there's some um, some great articles on there as well so if people want to go and have a read um, about some of this stuff then um, then it's on Ian's website Uh, and I'll link that up in the show notes as well so uh, if you are listening on a device it'll be in the in the show notes on there um so yeah th- thank you very much for your time today ian and uh, it's been fascinating that there's loads of stuff in there that has sort of created light bulb moments for me so I'm, I'm sure our audience will will be feeling the same so thank you very much for that you're most welcome i appreciate the opportunity thank you no problem at all thank you that's it for this week we hope you enjoyed the show If you'd like to leave us a review, please feel free to do so on iTunes. If you want to get in touch, you can find out more information at www.fanbizpodcast.com. We'll see you again soon.